Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. This morning is a little bit different in a sense. It will be more instruction than inspiration. We went through the whole Gospel of Mark, starting whenever we started it and ending a couple of weeks ago. But when we got to Mark chapter 10, you may remember that a group of young people were getting baptized and it didn't seem quite appropriate to dig into marriage, divorce, remarriage, adultery, pornea, which is the Greek word, and whether uh, you can get divorced for any reason or whether there are some specific biblical requirements. But I did promise that I'd come back to it. So this morning, unfortunate for you maybe, if you hadn't realized, this is the morning I'm coming back to it to dig into this issue. And it is a bit dry, but it is super important. And what I share this morning forms the basis of our policy, our process towards marriage and divorce and remarriage, and why we see what we do uh, to be rooted in the Scriptures. When relationships break down, and this pastorally is why I think it's so fundamentally important, when relationships break down, there is always a huge sense of shame and guilt. Even if you think, quote, unquote, I'm in the right here. There is a sense that something has not worked out as we had hoped and dreamed and obviously not. Added to that, for those of us with faith, there is another layer of shame and guilt that goes something like, well, I shouldn't be getting divorced as a Christian. Maybe I'm violating God's laws. And if I'm violating God's laws, is there any hope for my future? Is there a future beyond this divorce that God would approve of and that I could celebrate? And so people not only go uh, carrying shame and guilt, but that uncertainty about where they stand before God, what has God thought about the whole process? So we're going to try and dig into some of that truth this morning. Uh, but I recognize that as we do, it's way more than theory for us. And it's deeply personal and deeply impactful, which is why I'm going to begin here. We, we, know, we know that God hates divorce because we do. This is not a commentary on whether you've been divorced or not, but but a reality of the pain and brokenness that it leaves, whatever the rights and wrongs of what's happened. I'm not going to spend the next 20 minutes rehearsing the pain and the trauma and the brokenness that divorce creates. We are all probably personally aware of the level of cost that a breakdown in these kind of relationships cause. I'm going to take that as uh, a given. Most of us have been personally touched by these issues in some way or another, and we're all too aware of the pain. Even when divorce is, quote-unquote, a blessed release from a very difficult situation, it's still a hugely painful process. Your heart will have been broken by what's happened. 
And one of the phrases that maybe you've heard me say over the years, if you've hung around Burlington for a while, is that nobody walks away from a divorce. Everybody limps because it proper hurts. One of the most irresponsible adverts on this subject was commissioned by Volkswagen to advertise their golf range of cars. Who's got a golf range? Who's got a golf? Who's willing to admit they've got a golf? Well, this is nothing to do with you personally. It just so happens. And you might remember the advert because I was appalled by it and it stunned me. Uh, And there was this, um, uh, it it was the the woman celebrating in like a party with all her friends and family around. And they were all dressed up for a wedding. The only thing that was odd about it was was that there was no groom in the pictures. And then she gets into the golf and drives away with just divorced on the back. Where it would have said, just married with balloons coming out at the end. It's never, ever, ever, ever like that, is it? I can't think of any experience I'm aware of where it's been like that. And I doubt you can either. Which is why I'm still surprised that whilst we might have all kinds of faith reasons as to why getting married and then getting divorced you need to be super careful about, just in society I'm still amazed at the frequency with which people jump in and out of relationships as if it doesn't touch us. These things are deeply painful and deeply personal. So, the task uh, in these next few moments is to try and dig into these verses in Mark chapter 10 and some other verses that uh, relate to it to draw out what do we understand to be the biblical principles around, not marriage so much today, we'll save that for another time, but divorce and then subsequent remarriage. I'll put on my blog some other Uh, teachings that I've done over the years on marriage and different aspects that we won't really cover today if you're interested. First of all, then, an apology. I may inadvertently appear insensitive to your particular situation. I don't have anyone in mind, despite how it might feel as we go through this material. So you might think that it seems a really harsh or hard thing to say. Please don't leave with that sense. Please talk to me and let's work through why you felt like that, how I might have said it better, what we might understand together that God is saying through his spirit. So I'm sorry in advance if it appears that I'm being personally insensitive to your situation. It's true that people who genuinely believe the Bible who genuinely want to understand what God's Word says, disagree over what we are talking about. And you may know that in your experience. If you've been to different churches, you will know that they take different approaches uh, to marriage, divorce and remarriage. And hopefully they are doing that out of a sense of honor and respect for the Scriptures as well. So, what did Jesus say? Mark chapter 10. Um, Uh, I hope you've got it open in front of you. You'll need it open in front of you. Uh, Put your finger in Mark chapter 10, and then also put your finger in Matthew chapter 19. So you'll need these two passages open in front of you to make sense uh, of what I'm saying. So we have some page numbers. Mark chapter 10, a page number would be good. 986, 986 for Mark chapter 10. Matthew chapter 19. Oh, that was 986. Matthew is 986, Mark is 
10.14.1014. Okay, you got it there, all right? Open in front of you. Now, on the screen is a combination of some of the key verses between Mark chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 19. Matthew adds extra words in his gospel that Mark doesn't put in his. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a person to divorce his wife? Full stop. That's what Mark says. Matthew adds, for any matter, question mark. A bit further down in verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. That's what Mark says. Matthew says, whoever divorces his wife, except for indecency, Greek word pornea, uh, sexual immorality is probably a better translation, probably think adultery, prostitution, and pornography, that kind of feel, uh, and marries another, commits adultery. So Mark leaves out the words in bold, and I hope you can see right at the beginning why what we have here is challenging for us to understand Because the words that Matthew puts in appears to alter the meaning of what Jesus is saying. And that, of course, gives us a challenge. Do we go with Mark or do we go with Matthew? And that's been some of the confusion. Some people have gone with Mark, some people have gone with Matthew, and churches end up with a different approach in this whole area because of who they follow. As Paul would later say, someone follows a Paul, someone follows Apollos, uh, and it's a, a little bit similar like that. So, how do we make sense of it? A straightforward reading of the text, then, is super confusing and doesn't help us at first glance. Straightforward reading of these words would mean that divorce is permissible because of people's hard hearts, but that remarriage is only permissible if the reason for divorce was adultery or similar, or, following Mark, there was no good reason for divorce, and therefore a remarriage is not an option for someone of faith. That's what it appears to say at first glance. So we need to ask a couple of questions about what's going on. Why doesn't Mark include the same exception? It's hardly insignificant, is it? Marriages break down the world over because of third parties. The fact that a marriage should break down due to some sexual immorality is hardly a very thin, insignificant reason for marriage breakdown. Why does Mark leave it out? And then who's right? Is Matthew right or is Mark right? And how do we make up our minds? And if Mark is right and Matthew isn't, because Matthew's added some extra words, and it would be quite usual for a preacher, would it not, to add some extra words. So Mark had the text, and he slipped a few extra words in to make his point. Is that what he did? In which case, Mark's, Matthew's gospel, in terms of its authority and authenticity, gets called into question as well. So, how do we begin to unpack all this together? There is a fundamental flaw in taking these texts at face value. In the grace of God, we have four Gospels and we're invited to use them. Many Christians have drawn conclusions on this whole issue by what I think is a very simple, ineffective, superficial, and therefore wrong reading of the Scriptures. To understand any Scripture we must employ a very basic 
hermeneutic, i.e. a principle for interpreting Scripture. The very most basic hermeneutic for interpreting Scripture is this. What would those who were hearing these words for the very first time have understood Jesus to mean? What did those who heard it first? Not not what do we think, reading it 2,000 years later with all our history of civilization and relational development and the modern uh, industrial revolution and the 2.4 nuclear family and so on. What did it mean for those who first heard it? And to do that, we need to embrace the context. The context in which Jesus was speaking these words is not only super important, but it unlocks their meaning for us. The context was this. There was a raging debate going on between two different groups of Pharisees, the Hillelites and the Shamites. One group of Pharisees, the Hillites, had introduced a new no-fault divorce called Any Matter. Basically, they'd said, well, forget all this nonsense about trying to work out why you should get divorced and whether a divorce is permissible. We say that all divorce is permissible. Just go for it. Get divorced for any matter. Separate from your spouse if you choose, and that's good enough. There'll be no judicial process, no one making a judgment about it. You just go for it. Not surprisingly, There was another group within the Pharisees called the Shamites who were going, no, 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 absolutely not. That's a total disregard for the sanctity of marriage and what Scripture says. And they were saying you should only get divorced for indecency, that word pornea, which we translate adultery in Mark chapter, sorry, in Matthew chapter uh, 19. So you've got these rabbinic traditions that are fighting each other. And Jesus is speaking directly into that topical debate. And everybody would have understood that he was speaking in that context because it was so alive. It's about saying something about Donald Trump today. Now there's a thought. The school of Shammai says, a man should not divorce his wife except if he found indecency in her. This is based on Deuteronomy 24 verse 1, if you're interested. And the school of Hillel said, even if she spoiled the dish. Seems quite reasonable for me, since it says, any matter. So, you know, the the, the food can be cold and that's a reason for divorce. So there was these two camps going on that were in big conflict with one another. Matthew adds the words to his account very carefully and deliberately because it helped make sense to those who were reading it what Jesus was actually saying. Matthew added those two phrases that were the key phrases in the debate. He added the words, any matter, and he added the words, except for indecency, which were the very phrases, I think I'll put that back up again, which were the very phrases that the debate was centered around. So as soon as you said marriage for any matter, Hillel, as soon as you said marriage except indecency, Shamite, and everybody knew it. It was the talk of the day. So his, that's Matthew's account, reads, the Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law allow divorce for any matter? What they're saying is, is, Jesus, we want you to decide which Pharisaical interpretation do you go with? What do you believe about this matter of marriage and divorce? 
And Jesus replies, after a long digression about marriage that we'll come to in a minute, that this text allowed divorce for nothing except indecency, the Shamite interpretation. This meant that those who were divorced for any matter were not divorced in a valid way, and therefore if they went on to remarry, it would be like they were committing adultery. Matthew was correct in adding these to his account because any first century Jewish reader would have mentally done likewise. Let me give you a modern example. Um, In fact, we've got it on the screen here. If I say to you, is it lawful for someone under 18 to drink in this country, you would have automatically added alcoholic drink, wouldn't you? You'd instantly know what I'm on about. I'm not saying, is it lawful for someone under 18 to drink? You see, you've already made the leap. Now, it's hard for us because we're not in the first century Jewish context, but they would have already made the leap as obvious as you just made that leap now with those words. Yeah, I wondered that, actually, but because I don't drink, I didn't have a clue, really. So I'm just, that's the only bit I haven't got a clue about. It's a bit awkward now, isn't it? But I'm really grateful if you point it out. I'll adjust it for next time. Uh, and so they, they, they immediately would have understood the context in which this conversation was happening. So let's look at these verses again in this new light. But before we do, there's that middle section where Jesus talks a lot about marriage. And we'll do it very quickly. Firstly, Jesus says some things about marriage. He says that marriage is monogamous. monogamous. Uh, polygamy was still widely practiced in, in first century Palestine. Marriage is designed to be lifelong, so divorce should be avoided if at all possible. They're no longer two, said Jesus in verse 6 of Matthew 19, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. It's designed to be lifelong. That's the blueprint, that's the goal. Marriage should only be ended by divorce in case of hard heartedness. Listen to what Jesus says. This is verse 8. I'm taking this from Matthew's version. Verse 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Now, the listeners, again, are steeped in Old Testament understanding. And our minds do not immediately go to where those words were used in the Old Testament because we're not steeped in it in the same way. But theirs would have. They immediately would have gone in their minds to Jeremiah chapter 3 and 4, which is the only passage in the Old Testament which uses this hard-hearted phrase, and it's in the context of marriage or divorce. Jeremiah described Israel as God's hard-hearted wife when she repeatedly committed adultery with the idols and stubbornly refused to repent. The Old Testament prophets said that God eventually had to, quote, divorce Israel, but only after many attempts to get her to repent. Presumably, picking up that Old Testament uh, language, conversation, and process, Jesus meant that one should not immediately seek divorce, but the whole point is to reach out and encourage a repentance, a change of heart, so that that which is broken can be Mended. However, says Jesus, divorce is reluctantly permitted when there is a hard-hearted refusal to repent. Marriage should even survive adultery when possible. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. It was a, a permission. The Pharisees, and lots of what Jesus is saying here, was a commentary on the things that he disagreed with in all aspects of Judaism. 
the Pharisees had turned it into a command. If your partner commits adultery, you must divorce them. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's completely the other way around. This is about hard-heartedness. This is about uh, seeking repentance. This is about offering a new beginning. This is about seeking a new start and not something that should be reached to straight away as a kind of command. And then in Matthew, if you're following it there, Matthew 19, verses 10 to 12, marriage is not compulsory. Uh, Jesus gives huge affirmation, as does the, 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 old, uh, sorry, the New Testament in general, to those who live a celibate uh, life. So Jesus reasserts a series of factors about marriage with which he disagrees, not with one or other of these groups, but with which he disagrees with all uh, the various groups in Judaism. And that will be significant in just a moment. Jesus is then brought back to the main question about divorce. Whilst Matthew made it clear that Jesus was answering a question concerning the interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which is the, the verse that they were arguing about in these two factions, the original readers, remember what we're saying, the original readers would have heard that in their minds even when they read Mark and Luke's account. In the same way, if I said to you, how old do you need to be to drink? You don't go, ooh, one day old. You go, um, ooh, 18, is it? 16, 20, depends what's, 21, depends on the context, and so on. Because you automatically fill in that missing gap, and these guys would have been doing the same. So, what does Jesus do? He sides with the Shamites. This does not mean that he was a Shamite. He disagreed with them in so many ways. But on this particular issue... Jesus is his own man, but he disagrees with the Hillel interpretation that divorce for any matter, for any reason, is acceptable. His heart was always Jesus for people. And that's why he often found himself in a different place to either of these groups that were much more about law and legalism. And here in the middle of these verses, you get this heart-rending phrase, those whom God has joined together, let no one separate. It's, it's an imperative. The language is so strong. It's, it's like a plea. It's like in the middle of all this teaching, Jesus goes, oh, God joins people together. Whatever you do, let's not encourage or see them separate. Let's do everything to try and keep people uh, together. But equally, it doesn't imply that to separate is an impossibility. Jesus doesn't condemn, therefore, any divorce. But he does condemn divorce for any matter, simply because. The new type of divorce that the Hillites had introduced, that you could simply get divorced because you decided to, was something that Jesus clearly rejected. He did, though allow divorce for indecency, pornea, this kind of sexual immorality that that verse, that word, sorry, kind of encapsulates. And therefore, if people divorced for that reason, then it was a legitimate divorce, and therefore people were free to remarry, which makes perfect sense of what Matthew was saying at the end of these verses. So, how do we just summarize this for a moment? We're not quite there, but we're nearly there. Jesus permits divorce, not for any and every reason, not for any matter, but for indecency. And remember what he was saying, not immediately, 
Because this whole concept of hard-heartedness is that you would, you would, it would only be at the end when you've reached out in repentance or reached out in forgiveness, seeking repentance, only when that was stubbornly refused do you find yourself in a situation where divorce becomes the only option. And after such a divorce, then a person is free to marry again. Now, is adultery the only reason for a legitimate divorce? No. The Gospels often omit things that everyone was in agreement about. And there were other things about divorce that come out of the Old Testament that everybody was in agreement. For example, um, there is no record in the Gospels of Jesus forbidding polytheism because everybody kind of forbade it at that stage in the faith journey. There isn't a, for, uh, a conversation about sex before marriage, because that was just assumed that that was an inappropriate and an abusive use of the sexual relationship. Uh, and so there are a number of things about marriage and divorce that continue to be assumed in the Gospels, because they're not spoken about directly. Now, what were they? There were three kind of grounds for Old Testament uh, divorce. The first is what we've just been talking about, uh, an indecent matter that is adultery or similar. The second is about procreation and fertility. So it was understood in the Old Testament that if you uh, were infertile, then a divorce was appropriate because the command was to go forth and multiply. And if you couldn't, then you needed the option to get into a new relationship where you could fulfill that command. And then the third grounds for divorce in the Old Testament was all around what we would understand to be physical and emotional abuse, around the words food, clothing, or love. A refusal to support food, clothing, and love was also an Old Testament grounds for divorce. But what did Jesus think about those three? Well, we know what he thought about the first one because we've just been talking about it in Mark chapter 10 and Matthew chapter 19. He totally, by implication, rejects the second one because Jesus says it's absolutely legitimate for you to remain celibate for the whole of your life, which means it's inconsistent, therefore, uh, to divorce someone because you're uh, in some way infertile. If celibacy is a perfectly legitimate journey through life, then so would a marriage where uh, no physical, natural children are conceived. But what about the third one? The problem with the third one is that Jesus doesn't address it directly. So there was this Old Testament concept that for physical and emotional abuse, divorce was appropriate. But Jesus doesn't actually address that full on. But what he does do is remain silent about it in the middle of a list of all the other things he disagrees with. So when we went through all those statements about marriage, lots of them, he was having pop shots at all of the Pharisees because he disagreed with them in so many ways. So it seems quite strange that if Jesus particularly disagreed with this, that in that list of things he was disagreeing with, he didn't actually mention. So it is an argument from silence. And an argument from silence is always precarious, and you need to be very careful with it. But, and I think Paul adds to this in some of the, the later writings in the New Testament, it does seem very strange that Jesus doesn't speak out about it 
if it's an issue for him. And it doesn't make sense of grace and redemption through the rest of the Bible anyway. So being faithful, in my opinion, and honest with the text, and working in the light of what we know, it would seem that Jesus would support divorce on the grounds of physical and emotional abuse as well. And so you have a summary, as you try and get hold of it, that looks a bit like uh, this. And these are kind of the, the main kind of guidelines around which I think the, the, the text is speaking to us about. Not for any and every reason, but for indecency, and not immediately either, but only after this reach out of repentance and inviting of forgiveness and so on. Now, that's those particular verses from, uh, from the Gospels. Paul goes on to say a whole lot of other things, particularly around 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and you can look at that perhaps in your, in your own space, in your own time. But you'll see how he then goes on to reaffirm, to reassert some of these key principles that Jesus was, was, was bringing together here. Now, I know that talking about principles is a world away from working it out in our ordinary, everyday lives. It's a super difficult task to take the principle and to apply it to our own particular situation. But it does give us guidelines. It does give us parameters of understanding. And just one last comment. Because you might be, uh, have been caught up in a tradition or been uh, uh, in a tradition that talks about the ability to get divorced, to step out of a marriage that is damaging or abusive, but that once you've done that, you've kind of made your bed so you have to lie in it, so to speak, and there isn't a freedom to remarry. I think that's an incorrect understanding of the whole of Scripture, not only for the specific times that it talks about it, but also because in first century Judaism, the context was totally different for us. When someone gets divorced, the main focus is about stepping out of a relationship that's difficult. In first century Judaism, the main focus was about the ability to step into a new relationship because you absolutely needed it economically and sociologically. And so the whole focus of whether you were allowed to get divorced was not so much, are you allowed to divorce? The question was, are you allowed to remarry? You with me? And so it was absolutely assumed that out of divorce, then remarriage would be possible and part of God's redemptive and graceful purpose for our lives. And that's why, uh, as we journey through our lives, the church has an absolute obligation to walk with those through the brokenness of divorce and to offer journeys of hope, restoration, forgiveness and grace on into the future. The only one thing that we haven't said in all of this that gets drawn out in so many other places in Scripture is that the, the, the marriage for a Christian is to someone else. As Paul puts it, someone in the Lord. Marriage for Christians is for another person who shares your faith. Because it's a coming together uh, to become one at every level, physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, sociologically, and spiritually. And that's a super important principle for another time. But maybe I'll put, I'll put a story about that on, uh, on, on my blog or, or something as well, so you can follow that up if you'd like. I just want to be quiet for a moment as we, as we pray together. Father, we're asking, 
we're asking out of a sense of love for those who even now live with the pain and heartache of where a relationship has broken down. I want to thank you that in the midst of a debate of rights and wrongs about marriage, divorce and remarriage, we see Jesus' heart, his longing to create opportunities for grace and forgiveness, his longing to uh, protect people from the heartache that separation brings. May we, your church, embody that truth in our speaking, in our loving, in our caring. May we be a community of healing where there is pain and hurt and brokenness. We thank you for your scripture. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you that when we understand it, it brings life to us and direction for our lives. So in these moments, we just reach out and touch you. Maybe for ourselves, maybe for someone else we know and love. And we're reminded of the gospel that's about forgiveness and hope and renewal. A gospel of new beginnings and new starts. A gospel of new opportunities. And we pray that reality, that resurrection life where there is sadness and pain and brokenness. Thank you that through the darkest of valleys you hold our hands. Thank us. Thank you that through those moments of greatest isolation and hurt, those moments of despair and loneliness, there is a testimony that you are with me and you lead us through dark valleys to green pastures. And so we pray that reality for all who are on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name.